Hello, popsters, and welcome back from a very, very long hiatus. Um, and apologies for that. Um, a lot has happened. A lot has happened to me personally in the last couple months. So um, it was necessary to take a little bit of a break, but I am back. And um, from what you can probably hear or what you can surmise, from the voice that greeted you um, on the podcast this week, I will be talking about um, the iconic Marilyn Monroe, but specifically the um, Netflix film Blonde by um, director Andrew Dominic. And um, this is not the podcast I want to be doing. This is not the review I want to be delivering for this movie. Um, I wanted this movie. I wanted to love this movie. So I'm already putting that out there. Um, anyone who knows me knows that I am an enormous, uh, Marilyn Monroe fan. I've seen every movie multiple times. I've read probably at least five to six different biographies watched every documentary that has been out there. I have watched every movie about Marilyn, and there have been several different biographical treatments of Marilyn Monroe. Um, probably the latest, the latest one before this was My Week with Marilyn with Michelle Williams. And uh, Michelle Williams did an amazing job in that film. Um, and it was actually one of the better portrayals. And up to that point, I thought she really, um, I thought she really looked the most, she resembled her so much. Um, and she really got the kind of the sadness and vulnerability until I saw this one with Anna de Armas. And uh, I got to give it to her because while I did not enjoy the direction of this film, which is based on Joyce Carol Oates's best-selling novel from 2000, which is a whole other thing, which I love the book. It is a work of fiction. This is what people are not understanding from this, from this movie. Um, I don't enjoy the direction of this movie and what was included and what was left out, but I do enjoy what um, Ana de Armas brings to the role. I just wish they would have let her, you know, I, I wish we could have seen more sides of, of Monroe um, because you just don't get it in this film. And it is very hard to watch. <laughs> very hard. So, um, this movie, to give a little bit of context, 
To give a little bit of context, the book came out in 2000 and it was, um, it didn't win the Pulitzer, but it was up for the Pulitzer, um, along with a few other book awards. I really, really love Joyce Carol Oates. I don't know if, um, I highly recommend any of her, any, any of her books. She, um, one of one of my other favorite books of hers is uh, We Were the Mulvaney's. And um, she's had many of her books, she's had many of her books be turned into, um, turned into either miniseries or movies or, um, you know, she's had a lot of them. So she's worked with a lot of directors in the past. Um, and she's great. Um, she's really, really great. They, ironically, right after, right after, um, this was done, like a year after, after she wrote Blonde, they kind of, um, they, they developed a mini series out of it with Australian actress Poppy Montgomery. It was on CBS. It was a much, much tamer version of this Netflix version. Obviously, it was on, you know, it was on TV. It wasn't even on cable. So the more salacious aspects had to be very much watered down. Um, it was done in a much more linear fashion than this film. That doesn't bother me, though. Um, I have no problem with it jumping around because it's really how... I mean, the book is a bit like that as well. And um, I have no problem with a non-linear film. It's just what you decide to do with that film. Um, but to give some context, that miniseries came out and it was kind of a middling reviews um, for it. Um, Poppy Montgomery, she's very much a, um, she's been in a lot of like NCIS, those types of shows, very beautiful actress. And, um, she does a good performance of her, you know, not great, not amazing, but as much as you can really do on a TV miniseries, I suppose. Um, but of course I watched it. It's a long time ago though. So, um, I actually revisited it a few months ago and I think I remembered it being <laughs> better than it was. Um, but it was still not bad. Um, there's been a lot of other, uh, films out there. HBO produced, and this was probably in the mid nineties, um, Marilyn and Norma Jean with Mira Servino playing the older version of of the Marilyn Monroe character while Ashley Judd played Norma Jean and they played off of each other with the conceit being um, very similar um, to what is repeated in Blonde that Marilyn Monroe is an artifice. Marilyn Monroe is a creation. Marilyn Monroe is a performance. And um, Norma Jean is the person. 
So within this Marilyn and Norma Jean movie, which is a great movie if you can get your hands on it. I think it's probably really hard to find, to be honest. I doubt it's even on HBO anymore. Um, But it's a lot of Norma Jean um, showing up when Marilyn seems weak. And she's either helping her with an issue, screaming at her, um, belittling her. So it's her inner dialogue of this person that she used to be. But it's worth checking out. Both Ashley Judd and Mira Servina are amazing in it. And I like how physically different they look. A lot of people when it came out did not like that. I thought it was brilliant, to be honest. Because she's transformed into a different person. And uh, many people do not know this. I do, because I know way too much information on uh, Norma Jean. (laughs) But when... um, Marilyn under underwent quite for for the times for the um in the late 40s early 50s she not only had plastic surgery on her nose which her agent at the time said looked like a potato it really was not that big but it was not as delicate as they wanted it. So she had the surgery on her nose and she also underwent a very painful surgery to, I cannot imagine how painful this would be, to um, push her hairline back. She had a lower hairline um, with um, a pretty pronounced widow's peak. And really so, she could be photographed better. She had that surgery as well, which I'm sure was extremely painful. Um, so I like when she does look in a way markedly different from the Norma Jean to the Marilyn. And you can see it in pictures. You definitely can. I have a lot of um, photography of Marilyn before she was going by Marilyn when she was doing modeling shots when her hair was still reddish auburn and you can definitely see um it's the same smile the same face in that manner but the nose is different things like that um but you can oh my gosh that surgery had to be so painful so so painful um but they started to again work on a cinematic version, a full movie version, not a mini series of Blonde. They started to revisit this in 2010. And there were several other actresses that were tied to this. First, the first person that was tied to this to play Marilyn was Naomi Watts. I can completely see that. Um, Glad it was not Naomi Watts. Um, And a few years after that, by around, I think, 2015, All of a sudden, Jessica Chastain was tied to that role. I can't see that either. Um, But honestly, when I found out in 2019 that Andrew Dominic had hired Anaday Armas, I really could not see that. That was, I couldn't even put my head around this. The thing I had seen her in prior to that was Eli Roth's Knock Knock, where she's an absolutely gorgeous girl. Um, But I just didn't see it. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with 
that thick Cuban accent of hers. And then I saw her in Knives Out and I just um, visually could not see it. But they started, I have been talking and anticipating this movie since I began this podcast. In fact, if you go back and listen to my first podcast, I talk about this, this casting, and I'm sure I do not say positive things. I was very worried about her being cast in this, Um, but she's the best part of it. She is fantastic. Um, She physically resembles her in an extremely shocking way (laughs) that I did not at all expect to see. Um, If you go on the website, the popcultureperceptiony.com website, you'll see I included a video of, um, it's a fast motion video of her transformation and, you know, them putting on the wig and doing the makeup and all of that, really transforming her. And um, I think it helps that she has this very, and I never noticed it before. She's a very petite, curvy, curvy, kind of curvy woman, but she's a petite woman, but she has a very um, round face, as did Marilyn. So there are real physical similarities that I never saw before, and it is startling when you see you see a side-by-side, especially um, they do reenactments in the movie of um, very famous parts um, from um, Some Like It Hot and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, very iconic scenes. And it, you're like, that's her. It's absolutely amazing, um, the similarities. And They also reenact, which is interesting, iconic images. So there are a lot of famous pictures of Marilyn just sitting in her apartment in um, like pedal, like little cigarette pants, like little pedal pushers. That's what she wore mostly. She wore like really like those very narrow uh, pants and flats and like a sweater that was like her uniform. She always were things like that. Um, lots of photographs of her just lounging around. Reenactments of photographs that were done with her, with Joe DiMaggio and her, and Arthur Miller and Arthur Miller and her. And it, it's it was interesting that they re, they kind of reenacted some of those images um, in a very beautiful way. So I'm starting off with all the positives right now. Um, but this did enter into production in 2019. It was wrapped in 2021 and there was like this, people did not know when it was coming out because of course it entered into production right before COVID hit. Um, and most of it was shot in Los Angeles. It premiered at the 79th Venice International Film Festival, September 8th. And was just released last week, I believe September 28th, on Netflix. Um, and Anna Daramont's got a standing ovation at the Venice uh, Film Festival. And I think a little bit <laughs> of it has to do with how much she looks like her. 
and how much she does she um does for this role without her in this role if it was a lesser performance I think it would have been like very eye-rolling and unwatchable to be quite honest um because it's so friggin exploitative to a ridiculous level to to me an almost laughable level um although I couldn't laugh because I was so sad about it so very controversially this came out a few months about six months prior this was receiving an NC-17 rating and immediately I was like oh god because I have read the book so the book by Joyce Carol Oates as I said before is a work of fiction she it's a blend there are actual facts in it and there are actual characters that are based on real people but there's a lot of created created fictions in it it's um almost like a dream poem I can't It's hard to explain. It is so beautifully written. It it really delves a lot into the inner turmoils of Norma Jean growing up with a mother who was um, schizophrenic, who was mentally unwell. Um, A lot of a lot of information and a lot of talk about this father that she never got to meet, who um, resembled Clark Gable. So there's a lot of that in her fantasies that her father was Clark Gable and then the connection. There's a huge connection with that, of course, in real life because she would go on to work with Clark Gable in The Misfits, his last film. Um, He would have a heart attack and actually her last full film. And he would have a heart attack um, after the film wrapped and she would blame herself for adding stress to him. But um, it was always Marilyn's fantasy um, that Clark Gable was actually her father. Now, her father was a man that was somehow associated with film. Um, Her mother, Gladys, did work in some aspect in film, but I believe she worked in the actual film cutting area. I could be, I, I might be a little bit wrong. It's something film adjacent. Um, so her mother was very much enamored with the idea of celebrity as well, when especially when she was having more lucid moments. And there were, in her apartment, you know, there were Charlie Chaplin posters up there and uh, pictures of Clark Gable and things of that nature. So she was around that growing up with her mother and a lot of times they would have their escapism by going to see a movie and going to see movies um but her mother was very very unwell and probably one of the better shinier moments not shinier but it's it's a harrowing like portrayal but the woman who the actress julian nicholson plays Marilyn's mother gladys in blonde and it is whew, it's a it's a really really chilling performance um, because at one point she is trying to at one point she's you know essentially trying to drown her daughter in 
you know, in, in the tub and screaming at her and blaming her for the father leaving and all of these horrible, just horrible things. And you really see how unwell this woman is and um, how delusional she is and how she's created her own little world. And this eventually obviously leads to Marilyn getting put in the system, which was her, really her biggest fear. If you've read any interviews with her, um, any other biographies, there is a lot that is written about just the hell that that was for her, um, going from foster home to foster home. In fact, she'd go on to marry when she's about 16, really to a neighborhood kid so she could have some freedom so she could get out of this system out of this adopt you know this fostering system um and obviously and he would go off to war and by the time he would come back you know she had already been discovered um and really she had been discovered because she was working at a um working at a plant that made casings, I think, for um, planes or something of that nature. And um, somebody came in, and obviously this is when all the women were working because the men were off at war, and um, some photographs of her had been taken. And her career kind of went from there, to be honest, because she was such a beauty, and she started to do, she started doing a lot of um, modeling work from there. Um, and um, that marriage quickly disintegrated, obviously. It was a means to an end for her. Um, but again, back to the NC-17, the moment I found out about that, I had a sinking feeling. Of course I knew it's going to be, you know, with it being on Netflix, I'm sure it'll be R. I'm sure there'll be nudity, all of that. Which I'm like, fine. That's her sexuality, her nudity. Like, that's, and that's a pretty big part of, um, a pretty big part of the, the, um, book. And it really has, like, less to do, though, with, a lot of people don't understand that, like, Marilyn, you know, even though she is seen as such a sexual, sex symbol and all of these things um she often was quoted many times saying that she was very indifferent about sex that it was a performance to her that it was um I don't really think she had much pleasure from it (laughs) I think a lot of it had to do with becoming a fantasy of someone else and making someone else happy but really not about her personal needs um And in the film and in the book, there are two characters, this throuple relationship between her and two people that did exist, which was Edward G. Robinson Jr. and Charlie Chaplin or Cass Jr. Um, They were both really B-level actors who had these huge looming... (laughs) you know, fathers that they were in the shadow of. There's absolutely no proof, yes or no, if she knew 
if she met these guys, if she knew these guys, if she had some type of polyamorous relationship with them. This, I have always been under the impression that this was a creative device for the book. Um, as they're, as they are really seen as these men who embrace both the Norma Jean side of her and the Marilyn side, but they kind of make fun of the Marilyn side, but you know, they have this deep connection with her. Excuse me. Um, so I knew that there would be some threesome stuff going on and what have you. And honestly, that wasn't like that shocking or anything like that. But I was, and, and they do talk in, you know, Marilyn very, very famously always wanted to have children. And it has again never been, of course, Dexter is barking. It's never been confirmed, um, mostly by rumors. And even when Dexter, please stop. Um, even in death, autopsy-wise, when they examined her body, they had said there was no proof that she had ever had an abortion. But this film spends a lot of time on abortions in Maryland. Too much time. Way too much time. And invasive as hell time. So Maryland did famously have a couple miscarriages, especially one and an ectopic pregnancy. She had a very hard time conceiving. And she very, very well could have had an abortion. Um, but again, this is, this could be a def- definite fiction in there. And um, the graphic nature of them showing, of them showing what they show for the, for this procedure is just so over the top. At one time, you're literally in her vaginal cavity. And I'm like, why am I seeing this? Why do I need to see this level of this woman? And to me, it just felt beyond exploitative. I know that the director is trying to take us somewhere with her. Pretty much, I don't know, maybe he's trying to make a comment on how she was just beginning to get commodified by the public. I mean, there are some really haunting and terrifying scenes of her just walking through a barrage of paparazzi and they're all men and their faces become horrific. Like they're, they're all morphed. Their mouths are enormous and they look like that. And they're all screaming for her and they look like they could their jaws could almost disengage and consume her. And I was like, that's brilliant. That was done very well. And they do talk about, she talks about that feeling um, in the book. And I thought, you know, I did. I think there was aspects of this that were done very well. But there's no breath in this. The way it's cut, the cinematography is beautiful, but the way it's cut, it's a nonlinear film and you get kind of 
frenetically pushed from one scene to the next and it's relentless and you see so live so few moments of her having any true joy and she wasn't just this chronically sad depressed and addicted drugged out person She was so much more than that. And I think what's so sad about this depiction of her, and yes, the book focuses a lot on her inner turmoil, but there's there's nowhere to move. It's a suffocating feeling watching this because you just are watching her get manhandled, raped, her getting sick like literally why at one point you're watching her you're like watching the perspective from like a toilet in a plane of her just vomiting there's a lot of vomit and I'm like oh my god this poor this poor woman I mean I just I just think that they really kind of do her dirty in this and I, I think if you go into this not knowing, not being aware that this is a work of fiction or any other information on Marilyn. At one point, she's talking about, um, she's quoting something from Dostoevsky. And Marilyn grew up with very little, like, formalized education. She did end up going to high school, and I, and I don't even think she ended up graduating Um, I think she went there until she was about 16, but you know, her education was shoddy at best, um, going from foster home to foster home. And she was extremely intelligent. She was self, she was a self-taught woman. She was a voracious reader and it was, uh, always a bit of, I think a vulnerability, a chip on her shoulder, knowing that she was at such a disadvantage when it came to her education but she was fascinated by psychoanalysts and by um, Freud and Jung and writers and Einstein and you know her her dream men weren't (laughs) she she her dream men were like were like Albert Einstein and Abraham Lincoln, not a screen idol, not somebody who's handsome. And I think one of the reasons why she ends up with an intellectual like Arthur Miller is that was something that she aspired to be as well. Something that she longed for people to see that side of her beyond her beauty, even though her beauty was so dazzling and she was so bright she was, there was a lot more under the surface. So, um, you know, she was trying, she was trying to better herself. And, um, I think as her mental health worsened, I think as her celebrity grew and her personal life crumbled more and more that, it was just too much. And the substances, I mean, and, you know, the drugs and the alcohol just to keep the anxiety at bay. I mean, crippling, crippling anxiety. And 
they show that pretty well, I think, during, um, in the movie Some Like It Hot, which I think is her, um, probably what the movie she's most well known for, and it's hilarious, and she's wonderful in it, but it was a movie not as bad as The Misfits, but she was very difficult to be on the set with. Um, she was late often. She wasn't prepared. She was forgetting lines. She was, she was kind of, she was a bit of a mess. She had, she had been, she was pregnant at a certain, for a certain, um, period of time during that movie. She had miscarried the child. Her, she was having problems with Arthur, who would be her like third husband. Um, so she knew that was crumbling and, um, you know, they do depict that very well, but it's heartbreaking to watch it because you just, you don't see her enjoying any aspect of this. Very rarely in the film do you see her, um, early on when she's auditioning for the movie Don't Bother to Knock, which is a really great, great film, uh, noir I always tell people to see, um, because she plays a mentally deranged woman and, um, she has this really interesting audition and she really wants this role. She's at this place early on in the film where she, she's trying to prove something and she's trying to prove, uh, you know, you're not even sure, is this really what she wants? But, um, because she has such few moments of joy in this, um, and they, they focus on so much time of her trying to find her father and what have you. And, and they make it look like that is um, when she finds out she's been duped, um, that they, she's, she receives these letters throughout the film. And then she finds out at the end that she's been duped. And um, it was never her father sending her these letters. They connect this with, well, this is why she had an overdose and died. Even though there's like many conspiracies out there that she may not have killed herself and it might have been some type of, um, you know, CIA or Secret Service um, interference and someone else. I tend to think that um, Marilyn had had accidentally overdosed a couple times prior to this. Um I do think that there is a possibility that she was taken out because she had, she did have quite a lot of knowledge, um, not just be, not just on the Kennedys, but, um, on some mob related activity, lots of, she, she had a lot of secrets. So, um, but also she was, you know, she was up and down Mentally, she was 36 years old, which, you know, might as well have been, you know, 66. They were already calling her, like, too old to be in films, which had to be heartbreaking. Um, and she was, you know, pretty disillusioned, I think, at this point of her career. And I do think it's very interesting. Everybody thinks she's, she has this super long career. Her first film is in, in 19, 
um, 51. And she's dead by 1963 at 36. Um, a year after, I think, wait. No, 1962. I should look this up. I should know this. How embarrassing. When did you die, Marilyn Monroe? I think it is... Marilyn dies... When? Apologies for this. Uh, 1962, because Kennedy dies in 1963. I um, I always forget that. So... There is, um, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of other Marilyn Monroe, um, works out there too in the last couple years. Besides this, there's the, um, Marilyn Monroe tapes on Netflix, which is an interesting documentary and I suggest that people watch it. It's a interesting way that they do it. They have these um, tapes of people that knew Marilyn and it's a lot of, a lot of the controversies around her death. And then they have actors reenacting, um, them making these tapes, the mystery of Marilyn Monroe. It was done in 2022 by Netflix. Um, highly suggest it. And, um, you know, I, and if you want something a little bit fun. You can always watch Smash that was on NBC where um, they actually, it, it's all around a Marilyn Monroe musical. And um, watch it for the amazing Megan Hilty playing Marilyn Monroe. She's fantastic. And I would be all for the Marilyn Monroe musical bombshell. I would be there opening night, baby. I would love to see that. I think it would be, it would work perfect. Um, but a few things also about this film that I found interesting. They, um, the actual apartment where Marilyn and her mother lived, um, lived kind of in squalor, um, is used in this film and even more, like even more um terrifying the um the bungalow it really wasn't a bungalow it was like a i think her her home her actual home Marilyn's um home that she died in is used and i believe that's in it's in um Brentwood and so that's used in the film as well um, on 12305 5th Helena Drive it was her home in Brentwood and um, had four bedrooms and two bathrooms. Nothing, not an enormous, not an enormous house. Um, but in the film, in the film, I mean, they don't really show her. Um, her housekeeper was there the night that she died, um, but she was you know, mostly in, she was mostly in her, Marilyn was in her bedroom for so many hours. So, you know, a lot, there's a lot of controversy over if there were people in the house and yada, yada. And there's a whole like 
Oh, there's a whole night vision scene in this movie where, and you don't know if it is a Maryland dream, if it really happens in this, but it looks like there's like a, like a man in the room, um, watching her sleep. It is so freaky. Um, it's very David Lynch. I was like, I'm surprised this is in here. I cannot believe he is barking again. He's barking again. Oh my God, it won't end. Um, But yeah, so I guess he found a way to, um, I guess he found a way to get whoever the current owners are to let them foam in there, which makes me sad. Also, uh, Anadar Moss has been very open to the idea that she felt that the ghost of Marilyn was there, um, and on some days that she was happy, uh, unhappy with what was going on, things would move on the set or be thrown around. Um, maybe that happened. Maybe it didn't. I could see her being pissed while watching this, especially since there is one scene. So there is a very specific scene that happens three quarters of the way into the movie. Um, where we're in the period of time where Marilyn is having an affair with John F. Kennedy Jr. Um, and it's just disgusting. I kind of get what they were doing because they wanted to really hit home the idea that she's always performing, but essentially... She is forced to go down on the president while he's laying in bed and talking to some other politicians on the phone. And it's just foul. It's just unnecessary. And at one point, it's just a super big, super close up of her eyes like bulging out while she is doing this. And you can hear the sounds. There's also a... um, There's a rape early on, um, and while Marilyn was definitely a victim of the casting couch, so yes, I'm sure she was assaulted, there was, this is a fiction, um, and they infer that she was raped by Daryl Zanuck, um, which could have helped, could have happened, but I'm like, did I actually have to see the penis? Because I do. I don't, but I do in the film. And you get to see it, too. When she has a flashback to this while she's talking to uh, Bobby Cannavale, who plays Joe DiMaggio. And they never in the book, they never in the book, I believe, say his name. Like, this is Joe DiMaggio. But it's clearly him. And I'm sure people are upset by it because it does depict... He very much did love her, but I always thought it was much more along the lines of a possession um, because he was violent with her. And that's on record uh, that he was very jealous. He wanted a sweet little housewife. He didn't want her working. Obviously, that just did not end up being the case. Um, And... 
that marriage did not last long and she would, you know, end up then after going to the actor studio in New York and meeting Arthur Miller, she'd end up in a relationship with him that would result in him ending his 20 some year old marriage to his wife and they would get together and, um, that would not work out. But, um, she does have like this flashback thinking of that rape when he asks her how she got into the movie business. Um, because it's very much implied in the movie that because she gets, um, assaulted by Zanuck or Mr. Z that she gets this one role. Like, not on her talent, but mostly because her ass looks good and because of that. Which I'm like, again, insulting. Insulting, insulting, insulting. Um, It's like they don't give her a breath. They don't give her any credit of, like, she definitely has a luminosity. She has a, a certain it factor that nobody else had like that. But she does not get that credit She doesn't see it in herself. It's, she sees it a few times. Um, I think probably the most delicate relationship that is portrayed in the whole film is um, her real life makeup designer, Whitey, um, who really does care for her. And that, that was very, that's very accurate in how it was in life as well. But yeah, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking to watch. Um, and many, many people may not know, I don't know how you don't know how tragic this woman's life was, but she did have moments of joy as well. And, um, I think not to concentrate on any of the ways that she tried so hard to improve herself and, you know, how revolutionary she really was to this industry and how she started her own production company. I mean, that was unheard of to be doing something like that in the 50s um you know was really and she wasn't regarded as a good actress she did not get great reviews she was seen as a popular actress and she was very popular among fans and lay people but critics you know thought she was a dumb blonde and they thought you know she had minimal talent lots of beauty and I think only in retrospect going back and watching her things and watch I think people grew to have a much deeper appreciation for her talent and what she brought Um, because we can't get away from her I mean people are still extremely obsessed with her and still obsessed with again turning a profit on her and commodifying her I mean we very famously just this last what September not even September was that August I can't remember um Kim Kardashian controversial controversially wore her um wore that happy birthday dress to the Met Gala with those pleaser stripper heels (sighs) yes I'm deeply exhaling um and there was like irreparable damage from that. I I don't even understand how that was allowed. And first off, it was, I mean, even in death, like that is something that should be 
in the Smithsonian. Should be in a costume museum. Um, it should be under a locking key. And, you know, if the, the Kardashians just have way too much power. Just way too much power. But um, it's um, it's interesting how there there doesn't seem to be a... <laughs> there's There continues to be more and more projects around her. Um, because I think people... I think her story, you know, it repeats itself in other performers. And there is that sadness, that vulnerability, and um, the fact that she did die so young. Because people forget that. She was only 36 years old, but already feeling like has been. Which is really just probably the saddest aspect of all of this. But, um... You know, don't listen to me. Go in. You you make your own decision about the movie. Maybe I am being too harsh on it, but I was very disappointed. I think they could have. I she does not. She is topless. I would say a quarter to half of the movie. I kid you not. And um, yes, Marilyn like slept nude. Marilyn, like, I don't think she really had that large of a problem with being nude. It wasn't that. But I'm like, this very, very, very much felt like a man is directing this movie. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I could draw Anna de Armas's areolas at this point. Which, they're lovely. Don't get me wrong. But my God. My God. Anyways, go check it out on Netflix. Thank you for listening today. I'm sorry it has been so long. I am hoping to be back regularly on a weekly basis. Um, And that's about it. Go and make sure to check out the companion website at popcultureperceptiony.com. And again, and always, make sure to rate and review. Please give me five stars. It makes it much easier for people to find the podcast. So thank you so much. And until next time, we'll leave you with a little bit of Marilyn on the way out. You don't